Welcome to Sister Hack. Do you crave candid conversation? And are you curious about how others deal with the details of work, home, family, and everything in between? Well, sisters Hannah and Rachel have conversations about the unspoken dynamics that drive our everyday lives. And we have more in common than you think. So when you listen to Sister Hack, you too can share hacks and laughs that help make this convoluted life a little funnier and a little more clear. So now introducing Hannah and Rachel. Welcome everyone to Sister Hack. We're so happy to be here with you today. I'm Hannah. And I'm Hannah's sister, Rachel, co-host. Co-host of the pod. And co-founder, co-founder, co-host. Advisory board member. (laughs) (laughs) We're excited to talk to you today about something that applies to all of us because we're all somewhere on the spectrum of being a complete introvert to a mm-hmm. complete extrovert. And what I learned from a recent quiz is that maybe you're just like half and half. Correct. Yes. And how that's called an ambivert. We've, we've talked about being introverted or extroverted on the podcast here and there a little bit, I think. And it's just so interesting how much this um categorization affects like daily life and relationships I think particularly you know in families when you're together for holidays how you recharge how you recharge in your job you know when you're going through a busy season just those kind of things I think that it's so interesting to see and learn how introverts and extroverts interact And I think the definition has expanded or maybe I just wasn't aware of like just all the nuances of what it actually means to be one or the other. Today's guest um, really considers himself like a full on introvert Mm -hmm. and he talks about in depth um, what that means in a very social career. So I think that everyone's going to get a lot out of the podcast Mm -hmm. today, but we really wanted to try to relate. Um, So we took, we took some quizzes. Can I say too, the guest is unapologetically introverted. Unapologetically introverted. And we get into that because extroverted, extroverts seem to be more valued in our USA society. Yes. But as he says, still waters run deep. Love that. And you'll hear that later. Okay. You'll hear that. that. And you'll hear Um, that. Yeah. So what did your quiz? You sent me two. I took them both. I felt very seen by all the questions. I knew exactly how I was going to answer on every single one. Um, How did your results come out? Yeah. So I sent a quiz that was a little more like business related. Um, Are you an introvert or extrovert? And then the other one was what was the tone with it kind of it was like it was like it had some graphics um oh it was a Myers-Briggs oh Myers-Briggs yeah 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 so a series of 10 questions and you answer whether you know how you feel after a long day at work what do you most tend to do or um what are your favorite colors or what's your ideal way to uh, catch up with a friend and those kind of things. Um, So my results were 50-50 on both quizzes. Uh, Down the middle, exactly. Yes, 
half introvert, half extrovert on both quizzes, one with the business questions and the personality Myers-Briggs one. And so it told me, hey, you're an ambivert because here's why. Yes, I wrote, I like to be the center of the conversation. Yes, I like that. However, my ideal way after a long day, my ideal thing to do is to go home and be alone. That's, That's how it is. Yeah, I, I then, am like that a lot too. Yeah, you too are, well, and you were 60-40. Do you know which way? 60-40, but I'm looking at this result. And remember what I said before about the world um, tending to hold up extroversion more? One of my results says six, six out of 10, you scored a 60%. You're an ambivert. Is 100% like the... Are they putting extrovert on that side? I think similar to being a middle child, you're a middle child if you're two out of five, if you're four out of five, I think you're an ambivert if you're probably in the like 40 to 60 range. Yeah, but I'm saying is like 10 high, is 10 extrovert high? Like, are they, are they delivering the results with? Oh, I think you're thinking, I think you're thinking about that. Wrong incorrectly yeah I don't know what you th- I don't know what you think I think you're putting a little too much statistic <laughs> yeah I'm a 60 40 though um and the first one says 40 percent well 40 percent extroverted 60 percent introverted yeah I, I agree that about you oh wow I I have been if you listen to our unwind wind up episode I've been doing more of the um, coming down with the, the alone time, the essential oils, um, ever since I've instated that on my boys' bath time so that they can actually wind down in the evening, I've also taken it up. Yeah. And part of this might be stage of life too. Like for you, live such a hectic lifestyle that your idea of fun is something that's different and that's being alone. For me, I... I've transitioned from extroversion in my 20s in college for sure to because I lived alone for five years. I have a lot more introverted tendencies now. And I'm married to an introvert. Introvert? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like for instance, last night I was I've been traveling a little bit for a conference. And I took myself out to dinner and I brought a book book, um, and I sat at that dinner table surrounded by people on a beautiful patio with my book and I had no qualms. I loved it. And here's the other thing. People are nicer to you and you're alone. They're like, oh, I hope she's doing okay. You know, and I'm like, I'm doing great. They're like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm great. How are you? Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm not waiting. I don't need to wait, see if someone's ready to order. Yes, I want dessert. I'll have the cheesecake and I will eat the whole thing myself. I don't have to share it. You know, like there's just so many pros. There's a lot of perks. Yeah, there's a lot of perks. perks. Would you ever, have you ever taken yourself? Wait, I just want to know. Have you ever taken dinner? Yeah, I take myself to a working, to a working meal a lot. Uh, It's like a business meeting with me and my computer and a smoothie. Like that's what I I like to do. In fact, this I don't morning, think that counts. Restaurant. I'm talking restaurant. Mozart's coffee shop. <laughs> no, everybody goes to coffee shops alone. 
Yeah, everyone does that. You're right. No, I haven't taken myself to a meal. Okay, I want you to try it sometime. I think you thrive. You are uh, 60% introverted. I love outdoors though so much that this morning I woke up. I wanted to swim outside, but I didn't want to do it in the dark. I wanted some sunshine on my face. So I woke up and I I zipped down to uh, Mozart's coffee shop to watch the sunrise and to grade papers. And then when it got to be about 8.30, I packed up and went to the, the pool and I swam by myself in the sunshine and I made it to campus by chapel. So it was a real beautiful morning for me. And that just set, set the tone. I didn't talk to a soul. I loved it. What's the opposite of a barn burner? Because doesn't a barn burner mean you're up late at night? Yeah, I think so. Like a wild party. Yeah, I'm a morning dove. <laughs> That's a real morning all right a morning dub for you okay yeah, anyway everyone's going to enjoy the podcast today take all you can from greg all his insight a wise colleague of mine and he's going to bring the house down barn burner style today <laughs> hi greg how are you i'm fine thank you <laughs> i am going to take a few seconds to introduce you to my sister greg um because although you both have in common Concordia, Texas, you don't know one another. No. So I'll tell you a little bit about Rachel. Rachel's my sis, my younger, my kid sister, we like to say. And um, she is a tornado grad 2013? 2013, yeah. I was there 09 to 13. So she was the first class on this, no, the first freshman class on this new campus, right? Um, second. Oh, well, yeah. I, I usually tell people you were the first. Oh, that's okay. I kind of like being the first in something. Right. When did you get to Concordia, Greg? Uh, 2019, the, the oh, summer okay. 2019, the, uh, right before, or the semester before the pandemic started. Oh, my word. Yeah. So, Rachel, Greg is a, um, just a really, really integral part of our faculty, even though he's, um, I mean, I only came in 2018, so I like to act like I'm a veteran to him. Yeah. <laughs> one year, one year before. Um, but even though I guess most of your time that you've been here, Greg, has been during COVID, you've um, just really like been a presence, I would say. And I've been wanting to ask you to come on the podcast for a while, but I kept saying to myself, you got to get to know, I got to get to know him a little better. So it doesn't sound <laughs> uh, too weird. Um, but along with being um, just such a strong faculty member and presence, um, you are an English professor, you teach in a classroom next door to my office, and I, I kind of, I eavesdrop once in a while, because you're very dynamic, and I always think, oh, like, I would love to be in that classroom right now, but I gotta finish these emails, <laughs> and um, I, as I was looking for a picture of Greg on, I knew he was on Concordia, Texas social media, because it was like, drop your favorite professor. And of course I was trolling it because I was trying to see if anybody wrote Hannah Meineke, but so many people wrote Dr. Coleman. And I was like, what, this guy? What this are your guy. Lessons? <laughs> <laughs> How do you do it? A few fun facts about Greg. Yeah, I love you flatter, that. You flatter me. <laughs> we, we really like to blow air in the tires of the guests, you know, just to get mm. it rolling down the street. <laughs> I made that up. <laughs> Greg, have you ever a, been on a podcast before? No, this is this is my first one. 
Oh my goodness. I love that. And actually that's true for most of our guests. So don't even worry about it. And also the first time Hannah and I recorded, we've shared before, we didn't even end up sharing our first episode because we didn't remember anything that we said afterward. (laughs) We were so nervous. (laughs) I blacked out. So um, there's that. But anyway. Yeah, so today we're going to talk a little bit about a topic. Actually, Greg, you gave me this topic because I was like, I know I want to have you on. I've, I have Google stocked your dissertation before, which I'm going to give you a chance to talk about. Um, but I was like, but what do you actually want to talk about? And you brought up the fact that you're an introvert. And I'm guessing, you know, about probably 50% of our world is an introvert or identifies as an introvert. So I thought it would be a relatable topic. Um, for you to speak a little bit about it, especially in the context of having such what I would consider a very social job. Um, We're around people a lot. Um, And so on our podcast, we we warm the guest up a little bit by giving them a section called um, Hack Yes and Hack No's. Hack Yes! And we are Sister Hack. So if you agree with the statement that I read, I want you to say hack yes. If you disagree, hack no. You can create your own answer like a hack maybe or a hack partially true and expound upon that a little bit. It's really up to you. Um, okay. But do you, do you think you understand the rules? I do. Okay. Wow. Actually, Rachel, I'm going to let you take this one. I feel like I've been doing a lot of talking already. She picks it up quick. <laughs> okay. So hack yes or hack no. A large group of people steals energy rather than gives energy. Uh, hack maybe. Oh, for, for you or in general? In general, hack maybe. All right. Love it, just Love it. hack maybe. Okay, wow. You, you, okay. Leave, me, you leave me wanting more. <laughs> I'll do the next one too. Hack yes or hack no, solitude is best spent without other inputs like TV, phone, or podcast. Hack no. Oh, okay. Love that. So that's just a straight up no. Okay. I'm going to keep going. I'm on a roll here. You go, you go. (laughs) Okay. Hack yes or hack no. Performing in social events requires great preparation. Hack yes. Mm -hmm. I agree with you there. Not to make this about me. Hack yes or hack no. Small group over large group all day, every day. Can I say no group? Is that an option? (laughs) (laughs) It's a true introvert answer. That would be hack none of the above. Hack none none of the above. (laughs) Okay, Hannah, you do our last one. Okay, very last one. Hack yes or hack no, writing over talking. Hack yes. That's an English major answer, Anna. Yeah, totally. Okay, now we're going to give you a chance to talk a little bit. Although you might want to write your answers. You <laughs> can write your answers and we'll read Or I'll that. just take polls. This, that's way more fun. Take polls. Okay. I love the polls. Okay. So talk to us, Greg, a little bit about your pathway to being a professor of English. And when did you realize that it was a career choice of interest? Ooh. Um, 
The short version is I went to a small Catholic school, was recruited thinking I could major in biology and English. Um, never really had the best science scores. I got B's. That was like a little bit above average, um, sometimes A's. Uh, thought I wanted to go into medicine because I had a, my, my grandfather died of uh, cancer in 1999, New Year's Day. Um, 2000, actually, it was like 1999, and um, thought I wanted to go into medicine, uh, was passionate about it because I loved him, but not really passionate because I like people, mm. um, and then got to registration, was sitting down with uh, Dr. Nancy Teske, who's a, who's a nun. Um, she has recently passed away, which made me a little sad recently, but um, she, she had some of the best advice when she told me I would not be able to double major. She said, there's no way um, our science program has just been redesigned. You'll never get to take an English course ever again. Plus, why would you want to? Your AP scores are great. You don't need to take any English courses. And I was like, I don't wanna go to college now if I can't take English courses. So she said, well, would you consider being an English major? Um, I was super nervous felt like the world was going to cave in if I made that decision, but um, she coaxed me into it. Mm -hmm. And so that was the moment I got on the path that I was on. And then I remember maybe like second semester, my freshman year, I saw the uh, department chair for the English department walking into campus. And I just accompanied him to his office before class. And I was looking at his wall and it was just covered with pictures um, of his kids. And I was like, oh, you know, um, and I kind of made like a little bit of a sexist assumption. I said, oh, your wife takes a lot of pictures of your kids. He said, oh, no, I took all of those. I said, really? He said, yeah, um, my wife works a lot more at her institution. And so I'm the one that takes the kids after school every day. And I've structured my schedule. I don't teach classes at certain times because I really want to be with them as many days of, out of the week as I can. And so he said, I get them Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Saturday and Sunday, like those are the days we spend, you know, as a family, but I get them Monday, Wednesday, Friday, my wife gets them Tuesday, Thursday. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, that's what I want to do. I want that. Yeah. I want the ability to have a family. Um, and I knew that really early on. And so I said at that point, this seems like the perfect career for me. I'd get to read and write and teach and talk about books for the rest of my life and have a family and be around them at least three days out of the week in addition to the weekend. So that's what really um, motivated me, I think, to, to actually pursue the career. And then, you know, it was just that whole journey of finding grad schools, getting into grad schools, writing a dissertation, all of that junk, which is not really <laughs> that exciting. <laughs> but that's I think beside the point. point. Yeah, that's just all. Those are footnotes, but yeah, I think that's the real journey started with me deciding Do you that. find that that your own personal pathway influences how you advise other students? Yes and no. I think I knew I, I was in a family where while my mother would have probably preferred that I, I go into medicine, my dad has always led with um, Proverbs, 3 vice, Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 6, right? Um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into the, your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct my path. And so my dad is always like, that's a scripture about opportunity. You know, if there's an opportunity and it looks different than maybe what um, others are doing, what people think you should be doing, you know, trust God. So mm -hmm. um, that's, I mean, that's how I ended up at Concordia. It was like, 
I could stay in Massachusetts and keep working for the institution I was at, or here's this new opportunity. Um, I prayed about it, felt the Lord calling me here and picked up and moved. So it was, it was sort of the same thing. It was like, when I'm advising students, I'm, I'm just trying to impart that. I mean, I actually have a little plaque that has that verse on it in my office. Um, I just try to encourage them to, to trust in the Lord. Um, and, but I try to be sensitive because I realize not everyone's family culture is the same where, you know, kids get to make those kind of decisions without talking them over with their family. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know that I was rather privileged, so I didn't have to think about if I pick this career choice over this career choice, how's that going to impact my family back home? Parents had great jobs, you know, sent me and my siblings to college. Like there wasn't a, a sense of like my income is going to support the family. So I would never sort of flippantly tell a student, oh, just do whatever you want. But I, I would really want to sit with them and talk about um, who they are, where they're coming from, and really listen to what their concerns are because I would feel horrible telling someone, yeah, pursue your dream, but then it means you like get disowned or something. So I try to, I try to listen to who the student is and what they need and then go from there. Oh, I could listen to you all day. No wonder you're a top professor. <laughs> Rachel's like, where were you in 2013? <laughs> I know. I needed you. No, I'm just kidding. I feel like I turned out all right. Well, can you tell us, can you tell us a little bit, Greg, about your areas of interest specifically when it comes to English and writing and if any of that aligns with your research that you did for, um, for your PhD specifically? Yeah, um, so my, my areas of interest are American literature. I like the 20th century, although I've been kind of dabbling in the 21st for a while now. Yeah. Um, I initially thought I'd be a, I dabble. I, I initially thought I'd be a, a British lit um, scholar, and some of that had to do with sort of internalized uh, perceptions around how I felt um, scholars treated African-American literature. So I thought, oh, you know, if I'm an African-American scholar who studies African-American literature, people may not take me as seriously as if I'm like critiquing race from a British, you know, imperialist lens or something, you know, um, and dealing with early modern literature, you know, but I, I really quickly came to realize that there were people not writing about the things that I thought were interesting going on in the books <laughs> that I was reading and that there was still a lot of room to say things and a lot of early work I actually didn't agree with. And so there, were, there, were, there was a way that I actually realized I was just passionate about it. And mm-hmm. so I needed to just own that I was actually interested in it. And actually when I finished my master's thesis, cause I did it th- that at a, at a different institution, um, one of my professors said, oh, come on, when are you gonna just write about, you know, what you wanna write about? And I was like, yeah, you're right. And so the year Obama was elected, um, I realized, oh, I really want to write about Black masculinity. I'm really interested in how it gets constructed and performed. And um, I was just fascinated with the analysis around who he was as a person, how he moved, how he carried himself, um, a lot of the criticism. I mean, all that stuff was fascinating to me. So when I entered into UMass Amherst um, to start my PhD, I I made a couple quick decisions, which were, were, were really like, the Lord led them, but I decided on African-American literature, 20th century. Um, I decided on focusing in some sense on performance theory um, because I had, I had an interest in how, 
you know, people perform in society, but also how it gets represented in film and media, um, how it also shows up on the stage itself. So, um, and, I, and I love theater. So I was like, yeah, performance is, is a nice area to tie into that. And then that third piece was um, black masculinity as, as an actual subject and thinking about it in literature. So those are my three interests that sort of coalesced really beautifully um, upon entering uh, my PhD program. And then in terms of uh, my actual research, it, it, it stems from me reading, uh, I mean, I actually had a wonderful conversation with um, one of my faculty members uh, from, from Mills College, which is where I got my master's. And uh, her name is Dr. Juan Mance, and it was her 19th century um, African-American literature course. And we read Imperium Imperio by Sutton Griggs. And I, that book haunted me for like years. Like I just could not understand how someone could write something that audacious. Um, you know, kind of big overview of the plot. There's a shadow government existing in the United States. This is like 1890 something. Um, it's comprised of African-Americans who formed their own internal Congress. They have their own president and they vote as an internal organization to break from the United States, take over the entire state of Texas, locate their capital in Waco and essentially set up gun turrets around the entire state, collaborate with the Spanish and basically create a black nation within the United States for themselves. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is crazy. Who, who could write this at that time and, and still be alive? Um, so I was fascinated with Sutton Griggs. I was fascinated with the text. And there's a line, it starts with, I am a traitor, right? Like, and I was like, that's crazy to me that this guy's like calling himself a traitor in the sense of like, there's a war or there's some kind of government and he's breaking um, and violating, you know, the norms of trust and loyalty. I want to learn more about that. And so that's really where it started in like 2008, I think is when I first had the idea. Um, it would not be until like 2015 that I'd really get to seriously work on that project. So I really molded over for like a good seven, eight years. Um, and then it just sort of formed, right? I, I had a clear sense of what I wanted to do with that question of, um, why is this character writing from that perspective? And what was fascinating was when I did my area exams, I had to read about 100 to 200 years worth of literature. And I, and I, I did that on purpose because I wanted to be as broad as possible. And I read texts that would, were written by African-Americans, but also some texts that weren't so that I could understand how they were working alongside each other. And in the course of that 200 year period, I found just in the 20th century, five texts that all use that same convention of having a first person narrator who identifies as a traitor to their race. So that's really where the project uh, started to really solidify was like, wait a minute, there's other people doing this too. Is this a larger tradition within African-American literature? And, and how do I talk about that? So that's really what my project tries to do is understand why would five different writers, you know, arguably six um, throughout a hundred year period some of them never knew each other, never heard of each other. You know, like like that whole thing to me is just very fascinating that they're all doing the same thing, but for different reasons. Um, that haunted me, <laughs> like I said, for like seven years. So I was like, I need to, I need to answer that question, and I think I answered it for myself. I'm happy. Well, yeah, I actually had the chance to read your abstract, and then I noted that you have 117,000 downloads of your <laughs> dissertation. 
so you're right in that you're not alone um, when you're, you know, researching this topic. So, and very interesting that you end up living in Texas after what you said. <laughs> and when I went to Waco, the entire time I was in Waco, I visited the Dr. Pepper Museum and the Waco Zoo. And I remember standing there thinking, where is it? Where is Imperium Imperial? Like, I need to find it, <laughs> you know? Um, I know it's not real. Um, it's at the silos. <laughs> Set the silos. I, you know, I it could exist. I don't, I don't know. Sutton Griggs, it's treated as actually one of the first science science fiction novels written by an African American because it's so preposterous. But I'm like, what if it was real? Right? That just seems right. so fascinating to me. I love that you use the term haunted you. Okay, so in this whole pathway, um, when did you start to identify as an introvert? And then how did that both ease and make difficult? your PhD pathway, even into your current job as an English professor? I realized I was an introvert my freshman year of college. I didn't have language for it. So I was very withdrawn, really didn't have any interest in hanging out with people outside of you know, class and um, really kept to myself. I had a few close friends, but not anything major. Um, and I read that as bad. I think the feedback I got was like, when you're in your room all the time, you don't talk to people, everyone's worried about you. So I was like, okay, um, I need to kind of reinvent myself. So I, I definitely tried to become more social, got very involved on campus, um, was definitely like a poster child for the university, gave tours, and then I would have to go back to my dorm room and spend at least four hours alone um, recharging because, you know, just that consistent human interaction was draining because there's so much I'm doing, um, not just thinking about myself, but trying to navigate others' needs. And it, it just was tiring. So um, I probably started to become aware of the fact that I was an introvert. Uh, my mom tells the story that both my younger sister and I, when we were really little, my dad is like a classic introvert. Um, he only opens up with a really small group of people. He prefers to work alone on things. Like he's not a big teams person. Um, my sister is less of an introvert in the sense that she likes sports. And so she, she can definitely be more social. She's performed at a halftime or not halftime. She performed at the, um, the Indiana, when, when the Super Bowl was hosted, they had like a stage, like a downtown area where you could wander around and hear live performances. She performed at that in front of like 4,000 people, whatever, like that's, that's her, right? Um, I'm more like my dad, but my mom very extroverted person said, I could see my children are gonna be really introverted like their dad. So we were forced to participate in a lot of like pageanty things at church. <laughs> we had to give speeches. Um, we had to like compete in poetry competitions at school where you memorize a verse or something and then recite it. Um, so we were forced to do those things because I think she knew it was kind of in our nature to withdraw and kind of be away from people. Well, at least my nature, my sister, doesn't like to necessarily talk a lot, but she can lead and really, she's really good at like dealing with big groups of people. Um, so yeah, I grew up knowing it, I think on some level, but really thinking of it as a bad thing, not realizing how it contributes to a team. And then in church, I think was when I really saw it. Um, you know, I was part of a church plant that was very big on like creating more church plants. And like, if you were, if you were a guy and you were walking up right and you could breathe, you were, you were told you should be a pastor. And I was like, yeah, no, that doesn't appeal to me at all. Like, I have no desire to preach to anybody. Leave me alone. 
I just want to help set up the chairs and clean up the church and make sure everything's set up the next day. I don't really want to do any of that. So I really started to understand and reconsider the idea that I had to be extroverted and interact with people when I started thinking about um, the different spiritual gifts and thinking of helps as an actual gift. So you could be behind the scenes and do stuff at church. And that's valuable. Like that's valuable to the team. It's valuable to God. You don't have to actually do the big group, everyone huddling around you, lots of interaction. Um, and so it, I struggled with that in the context of that church for a while to, to kind of be confident and saying, actually, no, I don't want to do any of that. I'm an introvert. I like to be alone. You know, I'll hang out with you guys sometimes, but other times I just want to like <laughs> wander off and hike a mountain by myself. Um, and it took me a while to get comfortable in that and to use that language. I'm an introvert, right? It, it throws people off because I'm, I am able to communicate really well because I was taught how to do that. <laughs> um, I like communicating well because I really want to be understood. That's really important to me. So I will put in the effort to make sure you understand. And I think I'm genuinely a nice person. Uh, as, as, as a colleague of ours said, when I asked her, do you think I'm mean because I don't like people? She said, no, it's not that you don't like people. Um, she's like, you'll be very kind and gentle and loving towards people. You just don't put up with their, with their nonsense. And I was like, yes, that is it, right? Um, a lot of social gathering to me is nonsense. <laughs> so I have to like have a, a framework for myself when I go into an event that says, okay, I'm going to hear a certain number of comments that aren't helpful. Um, there's going to be a certain number of people that are going to monopolize the space and time to talk about things that aren't relevant. Like I have to think those things through and my expectations line up with what's going to happen. Otherwise, I'm checked out. I'm like, this is a waste of my time. I don't need to be at this. So I have to like frame it for myself before I go in or else I would I would be completely drained, right? Every interaction would be draining. Well, that ties in really well to a question that I had, which was, um, based off of some of the things that you've done here in your few years at Concordia. So along with leading a lot of uh, culturally diverse initiatives at Concordia, such as planning rich, active social heritage months, um, you've also actually arranged social gatherings among us faculty, which is a really interesting thing. Um, so talk to us about what the social undertaking means for you as an introvert. So I have a weird, so I did, I did a Berkman um, inventory recently, and it shows that my, motiv my motivating drivers, right? So let me try to get this right, because sometimes I, I say it the wrong way, and then I'm like, I look silly. So, <laughs> um, my Our audience is not going to think that. <laughs> well, the things that motivate me the most are actually uh, the visual and the literary, and then the third highest thing is serving others, so social service. So I think what overrides my desire to just sit in my corner with my books or to watch my Netflix um, is actually serving other people, which means you have to be around people. So for me, having it hardwired in, I think, in who God designed me to be is like, I, I want to advocate for others. I will overextend myself for others if there's a service component. Um, but if it's just about entertainment, I'm like, you do that on your own time. So I think when I've organized social events for the faculty and staff, a lot of times it's coming from a place that I've heard from people that they're feeling burnout, they're feeling disconnected, um, they don't know logistically where to start. 
Whereas I'm like, oh, I'll just send an email to these 12 people and they'll tell people and we'll make it happen. Um, so because I'm very practical and because I'm, communication comes easy, sending emails to like the entire university doesn't overwhelm me in the ways that it may overwhelm some other people. Um, and then I think because I have a natural bent towards serving people, it's very easy to say, oh, this social gathering is a type of service, even if it isn't something I enjoy. You know, and I'm thinking of the night we all got together just to kind of decompress really quickly. Um, I was I was in I was engaged and energized by watching everyone sort of experience something they needed. Um, that was energizing for me. Even at the end of that night, I was like, all right, family, don't call me tomorrow. I need a day by myself. I was just around people all week. And then for another three hours, I don't need to talk to anyone this weekend. And my family's like, okay. I mean, my family just knows, right? That I I will put off communication for days on end if that's what I need. I'll, I'll let them know in advance. But that's how I felt afterwards. I was tired for like two days. But in the moment, I was energized because I could see on your faces how good it felt to connect with you. Well, it was funny, Greg, when we talked about this, I, my echoey. Um, so I was like, um, you know, I just wanted to make sure people came because it was a great, it was a great opportunity. And Greg was like, I was worried that too many people would come. <laughs> so we yes. had a whole different kind of reframe. My fear was that everyone who got invited would show up. And not just from a logistical standpoint, because if you saw that that patio was pretty full, it was kind of crazy. And I knew I could not get there to be like, let me reserve these 12 tables. Because um, I was teaching pretty late that day. Uh, and then I had like a meeting or something right after with a student. So I knew I could not get there till like when it started. Um, so I was happy that we had a place to sit. I was like, thank God. But also just that that many people talking in one space would have been like insane. What's your, what's your advice, Greg, to eight, to the 18 or 19 year old Gregs who are like, I'm trying to understand this about myself, but I'm introverted and I don't really know what that means for me now, because I do think introverts have a bad rap, like, oh, yeah. Like you said, oh, you don't like people. Oh, you don't want to go to this event. You don't want to do this thing. And I think it's really difficult for people to have the maturity to say what they need, especially in college. It's such a social time, you know, without people worrying about them or thinking that they're, you know, suffering in some way. I would say to my 18, 19 year old self, um, One, listen to your, listen to like what you need, like value your needs. I think that's the first thing is like, my time alone is a need. It's not a, it's not um, selfish, right? Um, and so I, I feel like you can, you can often feel like you need to be around people all the time. You need to be available all the time. You need to communicate extensively. Otherwise you're being selfish. And I, I don't, I don't believe that anymore. Um, and I would say oftentimes people that frame it that way, I think are a little manipulative. <laughs> people who are like, well, I just have to talk. Otherwise I can't function. It's like, well, you should work through that. Right? Like, that's something to work through. Um, so I'm realizing you have to be able to separate what's your work and what someone else's work. But also I'd say that it's a real, it's a superpower, right? Being introvert and how God has made me, um, because I'm introverted, I'm very analytical. Um, because I'm introverted, I'm very perceptive. Um, because I'm, you know, 
an introvert, I'm oftentimes assessing things and listening in a way that other people aren't listening. Um, you know, I, I give the joke of the, the person who listens so they can find what they're going to say next, or the person who listens in, you know, Hannah, you probably experienced this at a conference where like their question really isn't about your presentation. It's like a way to talk about their research. So there's people that just listen poorly. And I think listening is a, it's a, it's a, uh, spiritual gift. <laughs> I really do. I think some people are really good at listening and discerning and hearing the voice of God, hearing the voice of others, and, and being able to really intuit what they need um, and how to love them well and how to serve them well. And so I, I actually think being an introvert can be a superpower if you are cultivating it and nurturing it and very intentionally thinking about how you use it to serve a community. Um, I often can tell who are my introverts in the room instantly, and I will tell them, I'm scared of you. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because still waters run deep. So you're understanding the class and what's going on and thinking about these issues on a much deeper level than the person that hasn't spent five, 10, 20 minutes reflecting about what they're experiencing or thinking about. So oftentimes I will not call on my introvert first because a lot of times what they have to say, will, will the whole class can't even comprehend it, right? Um, so yeah, I, I would say I would tell them to, to understand it's a superpower that you have to, to nurture and that it has a place in, in academia, it has a, pl a place in church bodies, it has a place in families, like not everybody needs to be extroverted. I think some people need to be introverts. <laughs> Man, I love that. Still waters run deep. That's good. That might have to be our title of our of our podcast. We have a couple other, we um, like to end our conversation with you. You already gave a little bit of advice, but like a little more succinct kind of tidbits, um, hacks as we call them mm -hmm. for a couple of different areas that we, that have to do with this topic. Um, so what would be your hack for reducing anxiety in social situations? Have a plan, <laughs> have a framework. So I will oftentimes, like I said, create a plan or a framework for myself so that I know um, what to expect. So I know I'm gonna have that person who's gonna ramble on and I don't have to get frustrated. I'm expecting at least two or three people in here are going to do this thing that I find frustrating so I, I, I have a plan for it. I've already built it in, so it's expected. Um, I would say communicate what you need. So I was in a group recently, and I think the default was, oh, Dr. Coleman will present. And I was like, actually, I get really nervous presenting. I've actually passed out several times while publicly speaking. <laughs> like, I, I passed out as the valedictorian uh, for my graduating class in college in front oh, of everyone. <laughs> And I was, I was saved by the president of the university. She's a, she's a nun. She caught me as I like blacked out. Um, and it's, so it's something that frequently happens to me. And so teaching is like a whole different type of activity. But when you're like, now do this presentation, I'm overwhelmed. So I think um, there are times where if you aren't feeling up to the task, communicate to group members or communicate to others. Hey, you know, I'm just not going to be able to do that right? Um, it's okay to say what your limits are. I think that's something it took me a long time to learn. Like there will be opportunities that come up and I'll just tell people, I'm really stressed. I haven't been sleeping well. I will probably black out while giving that presentation. So I'm going to have to decline, right? Like I just won't be able to do it. Um, 
So make a plan, communicate what you need, um, find a mentor, find somebody else who's very introverted, but also high functioning and watch them work. So my mentor, I, I don't think she would describe herself as an introvert, but she's definitely an introvert. Um, I learned a lot about how to carry myself and to operate with others by watching her work, right? So I could see and how she carried herself, how she worked on teams, sort of how, how did she confront it when people want too much of her time? Um, how does she navigate it when coworkers want to, you know, invite themselves into spaces of her life that she, she doesn't want them? Um, and so I guess the last piece would be boundaries, right? Um, make sure you have clear boundaries for yourself and protect those boundaries because they're going to, like, boundaries aren't, boundaries don't harm relationships. Boundaries are meant to, like, help relationships thrive. And so I, I find that as an introvert who presents as an extrovert, a lot of people can quickly get offended or hurt when, when I'm putting those boundaries up. But if I give them the context, hey, I'm an introvert. Um, so this has nothing to do with you personally. I just need some time alone. Um, and, and I protect that boundary. It helps them understand me a little bit better. And it helps them to respect that and go, oh, wow, he's really bringing me deeper, deeper into relationship with him by sharing who he is and what he needs and how I can like love and protect and serve him through okay, yeah, we can't meet every week. That's cool. Um, I understand that better. So I, I think those would be my four tips. Find a mentor, set some boundaries, protect them. I don't know what the other two were anymore. Something about, you know, like make a plan. Make a plan, <laughs> I, I like that one. I like yeah. make a plan a lot. And then communicate um, if you need help. Oh, your, your volume was off for a second there. Oh, I was saying, um, make up, tell people what you need in terms of help. Like, like this is what I need to, to, to flourish or can you help me this way? I, or I'm sorry, I won't be able to, to do this thing for you because I'm just not in a place uh, mentally or energy wise to actually go do this public talk. So I think that's one thing, boundaries, make a plan and then find a mentor who is also introverted and who you can see modeling how to navigate that well. I think those are four really easy hacks. I think you've outlined um, some objectives for a course right here. We could probably <laughs> put this in. And well, speaking of which, I think you've actually covered all the other hacks. So I'm going to refer the listeners back to what you've already said if they um, need advice on creating environments for recharge, mm. um, thriving in a world geared toward extroverts, and uh, helping extroverts reframe their own ideas around social interactions which I think all of those pieces, um, those of us who identify as extroverts, which I, I would say is me, um, just that whole reframing of the mind, like you brought up team, who are your team players? Like who are the people who need a second to think about something, but then will come at you with an answer that you never expected. Um, those types of tips or hacks uh, are perfect for our listeners and for the purpose of this podcast. We do have one more section, Greg, that we didn't yeah, tell you about. It's, it, this it. is on us, though. So you get you you've done your job as an introvert. You can sit back and listen. <laughs> this is where my sister and I, Rachel, we think of hashtags on the spot throughout the entire um, interview, and we and we throw them out there. We kind of gauge your reaction, 
you don't have to pity laugh because we know our hack heads are really going to actually um, laugh at us even if they're terrible because they're loyal. <laughs> so do you, you have, have any? So I have I have one. It's a succession of three L's. Hashtag limits. Hashtag listen. Hashtag leave me alone. <laughs> 100%. I have um, a few, I have three. Um, so my first one refers back to the scene when um, the nun advised Greg to do English versus the science track. And it's hashtag no nonsense. <laughs> okay, everybody's being really quiet. Sorry, no, we were on mute. We were on mute. <laughs> okay, the next one is from his uh, dad. Um, and the proverb, hashtag proverbunity, proverbunity. Mm, that's good. I like and that. the last one is a little tip for if you're going to pass out before you give your valedictorian sleep a speech, hashtag still waters need sleep. <laughs> I love a good pun. So, you know, these are great. Me too. And I like the succession, that alliteration, right? That's, that's lovely. Starting with the same letter at the front and, and the same sound. I appreciate both both approaches. Thank you so great. much. Alliteration is my superpower, personally. <laughs> you just want to talk about superpowers. Now. I know. I want to be like Greg. <laughs> Greg, thank you so much for coming on, Sister Hack. This has been thank you, um, really informative. A great way to start my day. Yes. Thank awesome. you so much for so having me. So great to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. And I appreciate being able to shed some light on the experience of introverts. Thanks for listening to Sister Hack. For podcast news and updates and some awesome pictures, be sure to follow Hannah and Rachel on Instagram by following at Sister Hack Podcast.